Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is December 17th, 2023. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, Canada's Issues, in about an hour. It is Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. How goes it, my friend? Oh, not too bad, you know. Um, still don't have any snow. Well, we got a little dusting of snow overnight, which is all we have, and it's going to melt in the next couple of days because its temperatures are going back above zero. And yes, that is unusual for Saskatchewan. Usually by the end of October, early November, it hits the ground and stays. But looks like we're, if the weather forecast is right, we're going to have a brown Christmas. Now, unlike the Facebook memes that you might see out there that say, that's a first in 100 years, no. No, no. Um, here in Saskatoon, at any rate, the last brown Christmas was 2018, and it snowed right afterward. Uh, there was uh, another one in 2003, apparently. I, I had just moved here at that time. And in Edmonton, where I'm originally from, there was brown Christmases in 1997 and 1987. So it's not unusual to have no snow here. It's not the, the norm. The norm, obviously, is that we do have snow. But... Just for all the eco-Nazis out there, this is not unusual. This is not climate change. This is just how the cycle works out this year. And I couldn't be happier. I put snow tires on my truck at the end of October, and I see that I didn't have to, but I'm okay with it. I'm okay. <laughs> ah, stop using oil. Stop using oil. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, we, uh, we'll we we'll probably have a brown Christmas here, too. Um not unusual, like I, I was talking to you before the show. It's not unusual for here to be a brown Christmas. We've, uh, I mean, where we live is almost the mildest part of Canada. Yeah. Um, outside of Vancouver and the island, the Okanagan is the mildest region in the country. Uh, so if we, so having a brown Christmas is not unusual. But if you look at Facebook, like you should be you should be buying teslas right now like everybody thinks this is like people have a really short memory um because i mean i think the last brown christmas we had was two years ago um and i think there was another one uh six years ago seven years ago maybe like it's it's not uncommon, and and when we do have us have snow on the ground for Christmas, oftentimes it's maybe an inch. Oh wow! Like so, we don't get a lot of snow here. Um, you get the occasional big dump of snow or something, but very rare. So uh, so yeah, just nobody freak out. Yeah, exactly. So uh, a few housekeeping items to take care of before we get into the show. Number one, Liberal Party House Leader Karina Gould is now out of Parliament. She is now taking leave for maternity leave. So uh, congratulations, Ms. Gould. All the best in bringing that new child into the world. I really fear for who they put next into their role, but they couldn't do any worse. Oh, poor kid. I mean... Um... <laughs> yep. Well... I'm sorry, but when you've got someone that stupid that's going to be raising you, um, I do. I feel sorry for the kid. 
<laughs> yep. Oh, I hear you. Let's hope she's a better mother than she is a politician. <laughs> yeah. Well, and now who's going to replace her? I mean, that caucus is full of twits and dolts. So, I mean, whoever it is is going to be just as bad as she is. So, yep. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I'm not even sure who the deputy house leader is, but it doesn't matter because, like you say, they're a bunch of morons and yes men anyway. So, yeah. Okay. So, the Tamara Leach and Chris Barber trial is now postponed until January, and January 4th is when it's set to resume. Remember the trial that was supposed to be 16 days beginning in September? Well, uh, now they don't know when it's going to end because the defense actually just gets to get started on January 4th. So they had made the defense had made a motion to try to get rid of the class action lawsuit filed against. I'm not sure if it's against Freedom Corp or if it was. I think it was specifically against Tamara Leach and Chris Barber, and Zexy Lee, who was the point person on this uh, this class action lawsuit, and I think she's an absolute tool. Honestly, she uh, she contradicted herself in the public order emergency commission hearings and that was brought up brought to light when the prosecution actually brought her up as a star witness because she had said that in the public order emergency hearing that she was not throwing quote projectiles at protesters and then it turns out that when she got into an actual court she said oh yes i was throwing eggs at protesters and whatever else off her balcony well now she uh it turns out she had told cbc back in 2022 that Yep, she was the point person on this class action lawsuit, and she instigated it on her own. Well, that is until she got under oath in front of a, a judge, that is, and said, no, no, a, a lawyer actually approached me and asked me if I would be the point person on this class action lawsuit. So, um, you know what? It's time to cancel this thing. This girl has zero credibility. Well, I, I mean, just the fact that this, this uh, trial has has already stretched out over what two and a half months now and and it's about to you know be stretched out over probably another month um i mean it's it's an absolute joke it's it's uh for tamara leach and and chris barber this is an absolute travesty of justice and and i mean it's uh it's just a I okay, don't forget what the charges are here. It's mischief. These are mischief charges, which are I you know misdemeanors almost. I I mean they're they're not I mean they might be criminal charges, I guess, but they're this is just it's ridiculous. I mean there's I I bet I I would like to know how many like serious crimes have gone to court and have actually completed their court cases in the same amount of time that the uh that the uh prosecution has been attempting and failing at making a case against these two i mean i i would love to see how many court cases in the in that same time period started and completed for much worse crimes for much more serious charges because this is outrageous i mean just the fact that it's taking this long the 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 judge should just throw it out i mean i'm 
it, it's it's shocking. It is embarrassing as a Canadian that they are spending this much time, effort, and money on trying to um, put these two away, especially especially when you see the protesting that's going on across the country right now by pro-Hamas and pro-Palestinian uh, protesters that are disrupting Santa Claus photos in malls and uh, and all of that that's going on right now. I mean, you know, did you see did you see queers for Palestine um, protesting with the pro the pro Hamas protesters and those protesters? tore down the 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 uh the pride flag and the signs that the queers for Palestine were holding and they tore them down and destroyed them <laughs> well i mean and, the... it's, and it's like hey now the queers are understanding what's going on here <laughs> <laughs> it's like come on but that's that's going on right now but I don't see anyone getting arrested and charged for those. And they are way more disruptive than anything that the freedom convoy did. Oh, absolutely. And Zexy Lee talked about, Oh, the diesel fumes. It's like, well, actually since 2007, the, when they started putting the heavy regulations on diesel emissions and heavy trucks, that's actually just clean air coming out of those, those stacks now, because there is an afterburner in there. There's diesel exhaust fluid. There's diesel particulate filters on all the trucks. So in a way, if you've got a heavier polluting city like a Hamilton or a Toronto, all those trucks are actually cleaning the air up for you. So um, yes, you're seeing water vapor spewing out of those stacks. So it might look bad, but it's um, actually just steam. Sorry, folks. Well, okay, well, that's that's not true. Not, not 100% true, but I've heard that I've heard that said before that that, you know, they're actually cleaning the air, but they're not. I mean, let's let's be real. I mean, you can't stand behind a diesel exhaust pipe and actually tell me that it doesn't smell like diesel exhaust. It does. Um, well, <laughs> OK, I've done it. You can smell it. But um, <laughs> it's it's not like it used to be that's for sure and and diesel exhaust fluid actually causes any of the uh particulates that do get past the filters to drop to the ground so anybody saying that that they're smelling it in an apartment or something like that that's higher than the than the trucks they are definitely lying but I'm not going to pretend that the that it's just steam coming out of those exhaust pipes because it's not. But um, but it is a hell of a lot cleaner than it was 20 years ago, and it's definitely not something that's going to um, give anyone headaches or or disrupt their lives in any way. Um, because yeah you're right i mean diesel exhaust fluid is a big one that has stopped you know clouds of diesel uh exhaust from like hanging around uh you know buildings downtown 
Ottawa. You know what I mean? Like it's uh it's just not what it used to be, let's put it that way. Now when they go into diesel regen, that's that that does smell a bit, but it's that's not really, actually <laughs> what's that? That really stinks when they do the regen. Yeah, it does smell <laughs> a bit, but um, but like let's not pretend that it's anything close to what it would have been 20 years ago. No, that's right. So uh yeah, there I mean honestly, folks, it's mischief and counseling to commit mischief. Mischief is I go scribble F Trudeau on a wall somewhere. Counseling mischief, I go, hey Lewis, why don't you scribble F Trudeau on that wall? I mean, we're not talking about, you know, crimes against humanity here. No, no, exactly. And and like I said, the protesting that's going on across Canada right now by pro-Hamas protesters is way more offensive, way more disruptive and than anything that the Freedom Convoy ever did. Yeah, exactly. So I uh, mean, like you know, hot tubs and bouncy castles are are like a crime against the government or something, but you know, people walking through malls shutting down Christmas photos with Santa and and disrupting stores and their ability to do business and all of that is is you know a okay yep exactly and uh well speaking of a okay uh we had talked about sustainable development tech canada and how well one of the directors who had funneled 200 grand to a company she owned has since resigned from the board and she actually well you can say walked out of a committee hearing that she was testifying at she just got up from her computer and closed the zoom link because she was on a zoom meeting when it was asked of her how much more money had funneled through and how she had funneled 2.2 million to a research company that she owned in nova scotia well now another director Guy we may who was caught with his hand in the cookie jar funneled four hundred thousand dollars to a company he owns and then there's more the whistleblower testifying in front of committee said probably as much as 150 million of your tax dollars were how did he put it improperly distributed to companies well likely owned by the board he didn't say that specifically but he did say it was 150 million improperly distributed how about that canada oh my god okay so none of this really comes as a surprise anymore i mean i'm okay so last week i talked about when i went to belize how while i was there i decided to check who the most who the wealthiest belizeans um the top 10 wealthiest belizeans and all of the top 10 were prime ministers former prime ministers ministers in the government former ministers in the government and that's what we're getting here as well. So, I mean, how different are we really from a third world country, right? It's like in terms of corruption with the government, probably not any different. In fact, maybe it's worse. You know, maybe, maybe the, uh, you know, we're dealing with a lot more money. And, um, and I mean, when you look at the fact that Trudeau's personal wealth has increased from, you know, just a, a couple of million in, in 2014, all the way up to 135 million today. 
and he only makes 400 grand a year. Like, how is that even possible? Right. Um, and yet nobody's talking about it except us. And, uh, but you're, you're getting that with all kinds of people. It's not just Trudeau, you know, I mean, like you were talking about with this sustainable development Canada, I mean, like multiple directors are probably siphoning money off and at least two now anyway. And so, I mean, this is, this is just kind of par for the course and I'm, and it's, it's, it's very disturbing to me that it doesn't bother me as much anymore because it's like, I just expect it. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're definitely desensitized, but uh, well, we've got some show topics today that are, that are going to set you back Canada and uh, you may be desensitized, but it doesn't mean you won't get angry. So uh, on the show <laughs> today, are you ready for some tax hikes? Belching cows, Bill C-21, now law, what's going on in Quebec, and more. Where do you want to start, sir? Oh, let's talk about Quebec. Yeah, so the there's three particular schools in Quebec, universities, that decided to jack tuition way up, and uh, why was that again? Well, the universities didn't decide to do it. The government forced them to. <laughs> and it's McGill, Concordia, and Bishops. Now, what do these three schools have in common, you might ask? Well, they're all English universities. And so the Quebec government has decided that the English universities in Quebec will have to hike their tuition, and hike it especially for out-of-province English-speaking students. Now, they're also going to have French proficiency exams for these English-speaking out-of-province students that once, by the time they graduate, they must, 80% of the student body must be able to pass, like, French proficiency exams at the by uh i believe it's by their second or third year like it's not even at the end it's like halfway through um and they have to pass these pro french proficiency exams and if they don't there's massive penalties to the universities like big financial uh fines and now one of them bishops which is a very small university um it's a highly regarded university but it is small and uh i believe their entire student body is 2600 students um when my or no 24 2400 students when my wife went to that university it was only 1600 uh, students and so the university was able to convince the provincial government that they deserved an exemption because and i quote we are not a threat to the French language. <laughs> so because the university is small enough, they're not importing too many English speakers. So it's not a danger to the French language in Quebec. So they were successful in their pursuit of a of an exemption. So now that just leaves Concordia and McGill. Now, both Concordia and McGill are highly regarded universities uh, anywhere in the world. Um, and they 
they've decided that or the, like the federal or the provincial government of Quebec has decided that out of province English speaking students will have to spend $12,000 in tuition. And now this is better than what was originally proposed. What was originally proposed was $18,000. Um, now the average student currently pays, I believe it's around $6,000 or a little less than that. And now it's going to be $12,000. So, I mean, we're like, this is a massive hike and it's, and it's discriminatory. Um, and it's uh it's a problem i'm sorry but it is a problem and anybody who sees who who has like even a shred of common sense is going to see this as a problem i mean this is discriminatory and it's uh and it should be uh it should it should easily be challenged in court and 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 a judge should, without hesitation, strike it down. Now we are talking about Quebec, so that probably won't happen. But but in any, with any common sense at all, you would a judge would strike this down. Well, you would think that. And to be fair, six thousand was by today's standards a a bit of a bargain, not a huge bargain, but uh, eighteen thousand was ridiculous. Even twelve thousand is crazy. But it's uh, I like the idea of the French proficiency uh, exam. That's uh, I think that a lot of the students, any of them who actually left campus once in a while, would end up learning French by default anyway. But it's uh, just an extra fu on the part of the Quebec government to say now you have to prove you're learning French. It's uh, I don't know that the Quebec government is much more tyrannical than any other in Canada. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and you know. So my wife, my wife grew up in Quebec. She was born and raised outside Montreal. She speaks English and French fluently, like with no accent in either language. Like if you, if, if a French speaker was speaking to her in French, they would have no idea she even speaks English and vice versa. You would have no idea speaking to her in English if she even speaks French, but she speaks both fluently. Her dad was a Francophone. Her mom is Anglophone. And they, uh, she was born and raised in a, in a, in actually a very separatist, separatist town. Um, so now my wife, she left as soon as she left Quebec, as soon as she could, as soon as she graduated from Bishop's university, she was out of there. And she said, the reason was, is because she never felt welcome her whole life. She never felt welcome in Quebec because her first name is an english name her last name is french and so she never fit in anywhere because the uh french kids ridiculed her and made fun of her for being english and the english kids would ridicule her and make fun of her for being french jeez oh, and so she never felt welcome and so in 1995, when they had the referendum on whether to stay or go, um, my wife voted in the referendum and then left. So it's, it's uh, you know, Quebec is a very, 
strange place. <laughs> and and it's a very uh how do I say this? <laughs> well, it's a very discriminatory place. And uh they discriminate against English language, they discriminate against uh minority races. Uh it's it's not a it's not a very welcoming place. Well, true, but it, and it's funny. I got I mean a funny story with Quebec. I remember when in my trucking days when I would go out there when talking like the average people are shippers, receivers, whatever, if they f- assumed I was from Ontario, they treated me like crap. Once they found out that I was from Alberta, they were friendly as hell. So I wonder if it's more of an anti-Ontario message as much as it's, uh, you know, <laughs> anti-rest of Canada. Because, yeah, I was always treated well once they knew of that I was actually from Alberta and not from Ontario. So <laughs> Well, yeah, but I mean, they know where their bread is buttered. Well, that's true. <laughs> well, that's a good point. <laughs> well, and, and if you look at if you look at the uh, if you look at the uh, equalization payments map of Canada here that was just released what yesterday, um, you'll see that BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan get zero dollars in transfer payments, but the rest of the country gets transfer payments, including Ontario. Yeah, and actually, well, let's let's go there. That's because um, COP twenty eight just uh, just wrapped up, and it was very uh, apropos for Scott Mo to release that graphic based on COP twenty eight because uh, Stephen Gilbo, um, well, we thought he was unhinged last week when we talked on the show. Well, he's really outdone himself this time. So he was very upset that the final COP twenty eight declaration did not include the the words phase out fossil fuels they just committed to reducing fossil fuels and net zero by 2050 so really no new goals so uneven steven being unhinged as he is said that oh no we uh we definitely need to phase out the 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 oil and gas sector and we're going to cut methane by discouraging belching cows yes 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 you heard that right canada he's coming after cow burps and he says that the 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 beef industry or i guess even the dairy industry for that matter needs to change the way that cows are fed so they don't belch methane and he wants to introduce a cap and trade system where belching cows or i guess the ranchers who own the belching cows will have to buy credits from other ranchers who don't have belching cows (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So now here's here's the uh here's the conflicting part of all of this is that they want they want farmers and ranchers to stop feeding the cows uh corn and hay. Now corn is just the hay and the grass. What's that? They're actually okay with corn because corn's a bit more rich, but they but the hay, grass, get out of here. Well, that so what I read was that they want them to cut down on feeding them corn. Um because now as someone who is a beef um you know enthusiast, uh corn <laughs> corn fed beef is odd anyway 
I, I'm I'm never been a big fan of corn fed beef. Uh it's very fatty, very um it's not it's not nearly as good as grass fed anyway. And and the, and cows cows aren't supposed to be eating corn anyway. Um but grass fed is where it should be. They should be, you know, grass fed. But in the winter, if you've ever, I don't know, been in Canada in the winter, there's not a whole lot of grass growing in the winter. <laughs> and to feed the cows, you have to feed them hay. You have to. There's just no other, there's no, no, you can't feed them, you know, you can't have them grazing in a field in the middle of Saskatchewan in January, hoping that they're going to find grass. Because they're not. They'll just starve to death. You have to feed them hay. And this is what Stephen Gilbo and the Liberals want to stop the farmers and ranchers from doing, is feeding the cows hay. And that makes no sense. Unless you're just trying to get rid of beef. Well, they can feed them seaweed. Apparently seaweed is going to be the, uh, the new en vogue feed because that will make them less gassy. Oh yeah, because seaweed is natural for cows to eat, and and, the, and seaweed is so abundant in Saskatchewan and the, on the prairies in general. I mean, there's what so much seaweed out here. Oh, what a goddamn joke! I mean, I'm so sick of this. I'm so sick of this. Ah, uh, but you know who else is so is sick of this, and that is yes, I love her, Danielle Smith. So, um. Her and Scott Moe were both there with their own de provincial delegations. And uh, Danielle Smith and Rebecca Schultz, who is, uh, I'm guessing, her Minister of, of Energy. I can't remember what her official title is. But at any rate, they released a statement. And Danielle Smith was having absolutely none of Gibo's garbage, which is typical for her. She called him a national embarrassment. And uh, she repeated her claims, her calls to Justin Trudeau to replace him immediately and said that he's trying to step out of his lane into areas of jurisdiction that constitutionally belong to the provinces. And she's right on all of that. Yeah. And yep, she was putting up with none of his crap and she's right. He does need to go. The guy is an absolute embarrassment to this country. Yep. He absolutely is. Um, but I mean, like this is, <clears throat> there, there's been a, um, a bit of a, a soft war on beef for many, many years now. Um, I mean, I remember back, uh, you know, I, I can't remember exactly when it was, but remember when the WHO, the World Health Organization, declared red meat a carcinogen? And uh, now, that, now they're trying to, you know, we, we started hearing about cow farts uh, a few years ago about how cow farts were a main driver of climate change. Like, oh my God, all I can do is roll my eyes at that. Um, and now it's not cow farts that's bad, it's cow burps that's bad. And it's methane. Methane is now the, the main driver of climate change, apparently. Oh, so whatever happened to you know CO2, but now it's methane. So the goalposts keep moving and the, and the culprit, seems to be cows and but ever since the who declared red meat a carcinogen which is an absolute joke in itself i mean 
if anybody knew anything about nutrition, they would know that red meat is actually one of the healthiest things you can eat. It it it, it not only is it super healthy, but it, it's you know super nutrient dense. It's the most nutrient dense meat we or uh sorry food that we eat. And the amount of protein and vitamins and minerals that are in meat is all stuff we need. So, I mean, hell, even the saturated fat, we need the saturated fat. You know, our brains operate basically on saturated fat. It's, it's one of the things, it's a building block of, of health. And um, idiots and morons have decided that red meat is terrible for us. And it's all because of one study. And the study was a very, very poorly run study. It was just a survey. It wasn't even a controlled uh, a controlled study. It was a survey of 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 people. and it and it basically asked, you know, do you eat red meat? Yes or no? Uh, are you overweight? Yes or no? You know, these were the kinds of questions that it asked, and it determined, oh, yeah, meat eaters are all fat. <laughs> well, okay. But when 93% of the population eats meat, you're obviously going to uh, get fat people in there. Now, why are they fat? Let's, let's talk about that. Because, you know, they didn't, because it wasn't a controlled study, they didn't see what else that person was eating, you know, because when they're eating red meat, they're also eating a bun with it. They're also eating fries. They're also eating, you know, a huge cup of liquid sugar in the, ter in, in the, in the form of pop. Right. I mean, you, you got all these other factors. I mean, any nutritionist will tell you that the worst thing for your health is sugar. It's refined sugar. And meat is never something unless that person is a hippy dippy, uh, you know, vegan or, or something. They're never going to tell you that red meat is actually bad for you. So it's such a joke. And now they're targeting cows and it's, it's just infuriating because, I mean, I went to Costco the other day at, and I was going to buy steak and a pack of five uh, sirloin steaks was $80. And just two years ago, that same pack was like 45 to 50 bucks. But 80 bucks for five regular sized, you know, New York strips. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It's and it's only going to get worse if they got to start feeding them seaweed. And is it even going to taste good when they're having to eat seaweed? Right. Like, cause I mean, the, the, the meat tastes, you know, the, the flavors change depending on what they eat. Yeah. And it's uh well, I mean, in Alberta beef, uh, you know, which can be expanded to prairie beef in general is, very highly regarded because they are grass fed for much of the year. So you start messing with the diets and then the meat's going to taste different. And 
I'm not looking forward to seaweed beef, to be honest. So, uh, Mr. Gilbo, stop it. Yeah, get your hands off our meat. Exactly. Um, one good thing. Yeah, I'm going to leave that right there, Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you, you must have saw the look on my face after yeah. I said that. <laughs> so I guess one good thing I did see out of COP28 with the 74,000 delegates who flew into Dubai, um, many of them on private jets, by the way, to save the environment. Just going to throw that out there. At least they finally came around to the value of nuclear power and did make a commitment to triple nuclear power output. Um, I don't think there was a timeline, but they just did say that they were they were committed to as part of the net 50 by or net zero by 2050 goal to triple nuclear power output. And I thought that's great. Well, especially for Ontario, since they have 18 of Canada's 19 nuclear power plants, but also for Alberta, Saskatchewan, and New Brunswick, who all agreed to sign on to the small modular reactors. So um, fantastic. I think it was not very long ago I was commenting on this show that we have a lifetime supply of uranium in northern Saskatchewan. So why not use that here for nuclear power? And finally, I guess the folks at COP28 decided that, well, nuclear power, the cleanest form of energy we have, might not be so bad after all. Yeah. And it's actually a really good, you know, that that's that's like the only good thing that did come out of COP twenty eight. I mean, we've been we've been uh, you know shouting the benefits of of nuclear power for quite a while on this show, and you know, I mean, getting getting you know jurisdictions off of coal burning power plants is is good in every way. We got to get off of burning coal, and and in Canada we've 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 I believe we've almost you know we've gotten rid of most of the coal burning power plants in in Canada, which is good. That is a good thing because coal is dirty, and there's no there is no don't fool yourself. There is no such thing as clean burning coal. Um, it's all dirty and it's all bad. Um, so getting getting off of coal and getting onto nuclear power is only good, and can do in is the Canadian company, and they make some of the best reactors in the world. And it's it's unbelievable how you know can do reactors are are highly regarded around the world as being you know the some of the best nuclear reactors on the planet. And yet we don't use them in Canada. <laughs> and it's about high time that we did. So, I mean, I, I, I'm glad they did that. That's one thing I am happy about, but, um, but yeah, did you say 74,000 delegates? Yep. That's a big party. Wow. Okay. I had no idea it was that big. And I mean, that's, that's outrageous. Like that, that doesn't even make sense. It's, it's the, this is, this is, these are the hypocrites that we have to listen to. Yep. I mean, there is nothing more hypocritical than these climate uh, conferences because like you just said, 74,000 delegates 
all arriving on jets and many of them private jets and private jets are way more uh let's just say have way more carbon footprints per person than than a uh than a regular passenger airliner um but this is that's outrageous that's unreal 74,000 people yeah and then to th go back to when the cop was in Scotland and it was well pointed out that Christopher Freeland stayed in a different town than where the conference was and took a limousine every day to and from so yeah. uh yeah I mean they're just they're they're a bunch of hypocrites see this is what really bothers me about government is that they are dictating to us that we have to make do without some of the niceties of life um that we have to be the ones that you know sacrifice things for the greater good but that greater good seems to be what they enjoy <laughs> and yeah. and they get to continue to enjoy these things that we can only dream of um and it's it's quite disgusting yeah it really is so um well from christian freeland let's go to somebody else who's uh well i won't say disgusting but i will say quite the moron and that's calgary mayor jody gondek uh, if anybody needs a reminder, Jody Gondek, when elected mayor of Calgary, immediately declared a climate emergency in the city of Calgary. Well, there hasn't been any floods on her watch, nor any major snowfalls or, well, really anything climate related that was disastrous for the city, but probably because she declared the emergency, right? Exactly. Come on, Tony. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the latest on Jody Gondek? Well, okay. Well, she's an idiot. We all know that. Um, and she keeps proving it. Uh, the Every year, the Jewish Society of Calgary lights a menorah uh, at, I believe it's at City Hall. And uh, to commemorate Hanukkah. And this year, and the mayor always takes part in it. And this year, she released a statement that, you know, she wasn't going to take part in it because lighting the menorah might be misconstrued as her supporting Israel. <laughs> of course. So... this is part of the problem with people. They can't separate the two. They can't separate the religion from the country. And that's, you know, anti-Semitism. Um, when you can't separate the religion from a government, like when you yourself cannot figure out that the religion is not, you know, the same as Israel. Right. One is Zionism, one is Judaism. And there's no. And I mean, I'm not saying you have to support Israel, but. If you're not supporting 
Israel's right to defend itself and to protect their own lives and to eradicate a terrorist organization that, you know, slaughtered 1300 people without provocation, um, then, you know, eh, that's your thing. But, uh, but I mean, to say that, that you can't separate the two, I mean, that's, that's the whole thing with the left right now. And that's why there's such a rise in anti-Semitism across the country. And the fact that, you know, you've got all these protests by pro-Hamas uh, supporters across the country and shopping centers and everything, uh, you know, basically calling for the destruction of an entire country and the eradication of the people living there which is, by the way, the real definition of a genocide. And um, and the Calgary mayor is only feeding into it. Yeah. And and so she's so that was that was the first thing. <laughs> um, I mean, she's just. She tried to back down from that position and only stepped in it further. And I mean, it. it Honestly, the story is so convoluted that you have to go back and read all the articles about it from the Calgary Herald because it's it's just it's just crazy how she just keeps every time she tries to make it better, she makes it worse. And and she just has a knack for for making situations worse. She's just really good at it. <laughs> she is. Now, um, for a bit of context, uh, her predecessor, Nahid Nemchi, who was Muslim. Uh, you know, he makes no uh, secret about that. Every year would go to the lighting of the menorah wearing a yarmulke. That's that little uh, skull cap that yeah. that uh, some Jews wear. And he had was happy to do it. He knew that was part of his role as mayor, and he never once backed away from that. Now, I have lots of problems with Nemchi, but yeah, he uh, said, yep, as mayor, this is what we do. This is a big celebration in the city and happily took part. And Jody Gondek, I believe she's Hindu, and she, uh, I don't know if it's a, because of religion that she wanted nothing to do with it, or just because she's an anti-Semite, and I'm not afraid to make that accusation. She, um, yep, she backed away as much as possible. And I mean, I'm, I, I have, I, I don't think that really has anything to do with her, um, with her religion of being Hindu. Uh, I think it just has to do with the fact that she's a left winger and the left wingers seem to be anti-Semites these days. Well, that's true. Um, that's probably more what it is. Yeah. And, uh, and I mean, she's also, you know, her, her, uh, her popularity is tanking because I mean, there's there, this, this is the big thing that happened recently. And then, you know, she announced that they were going to be jacking property taxes across the, uh, the city. Um, and uh, that's hurting her too. I mean, everything that she does hurts her popularity. And I mean, cause I mean, one of the things like that first thing you talked about where she, um, where she yeah, declared the climate emergency the day she took office. Um, there was nothing. She never even mentioned that during the uh 
during the campaign or during the election. And she never even mentioned that she would be doing that. And then the very first thing that she do, does is declare a climate emergency in in a city and province where the companies that are based there, like the oil companies that are based there, are world leaders in carbon capture and storage. Yeah. <laughs> and she's declaring a climate emergency. Well, that's actually like, really good. Yeah, I mean, this is this is ridiculous. And I mean, she's just that typical left wing politician that just loves to divide people and um, and for some reason hates Jews. Yeah, <laughs> allegedly. Well, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. So from hiking property taxes to hiking taxes on everyone's paycheck. Well, um, I love that article you sent me about the increases in CPP premiums coming January 1st and EI premiums. So uh, let's just read the facts right out of the uh, the article here, right from the government's own figures. So your EI rates as an employee are going to go from $1.63 to $1.66 per $100 earned. So you uh, you earn a thousand bucks, you're going to end up paying an extra about uh, well, $3 per paycheck on a source deduction. So on an average paycheck, you're going to be going up maybe, you know, seven or eight bucks. And uh, on the employer end, well, that's actually going to be nine or $10 per paycheck. Don't forget that. Um, your maximum insurable earnings for EI are going to go from 61500 to 63200 So, you know, later in the year when your paychecks get a little better because you've reached the cap on some of those, well, they're going to extend just a little bit longer now so you can pay more into EI premiums. And then there's the CPP. Well, the CPP contributions are going up well, well over $100 a year, which comes directly off your paycheck again. And the maximum pensionable earnings for CPP also goes up so you can pay even deeper into the year. And as we always say in this show, but wait, there's more. If you are happen to be part of the middle class and those working hard to join it, as Justin Trudeau likes to say, you get a second premium tax on your CPP payments. That's right. If you happen to earn between $68,500 and $73,200 or go through that range throughout your, uh, your working year, you will get an additional 4% premium tacked on to your CPP deductions at both the employee and the employer level. So Lewis, you're an employer. You now as an employer will be paying up to $5,400 per employee per year just for their EI and CPP. How you feeling, buddy? Yay! <laughs> so happy. Yeah. I mean, and this is and this is uh you know this comes on the heels of the BC government making five sick days like five paid sick days a year mandatory and yeah. adding an additional um stat for truth and reconciliation day and uh and now the talk in BC is that they're going to be uh bumping those five paid sick days to 15 a year um so yeah no i mean this is they're just putting so much pressure on on employers that 
the only thing that can happen is is that all these expenses get passed on to the consumer. You want to talk about increased uh, cost of living. Well, this is going to be a big contributor of it. I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot to people. Oh, an extra hundred bucks a year or whatever. But you multiply that by how many employees you've got. And then you've got to charge somebody for that. You you don't eat that. You you pass that cost on to the uh, to the customer, to the consumer. And I mean, you've got you've got uh I th this really bothers me with with um with Trudeau because he has this mentality that that uh he's you know that he's god that he can just no you you you're just going to pay more i like i mean it's a poli it's a politician thing it's not just a trudeau thing but they they have this mentality that they can just dictate to us what that we're going to have to pay more um because they want us to and i'm sick of this attitude i'm sick of the of, of of all of this i mean i mean the the thing that you didn't mention was that if you do fall into that tier two um cpp right from sixty eight thousand to seventy three thousand, i don't know why it's only a five thousand dollar um window but it is you're going to pay a, an additional four percent you are also going to get more when you collect cpp when you retire and so now they're creating, and and this is something that I'm actually quite shocked at because they're all about equity. The liberals are all about equity, and this is no longer equitable because now these people who pay extra on CPP are going to get more on CPP when they collect it. So now they've created a two tier, and they've even called it two tier, <laughs> like. They hate that's the, the they they hate the words two tier so much they call it American style two tier blank right every single time they talk about something that's two tier it's not equal between people and then they're the ones who bring in this new two tier CPP program and so oh God you know I could just go on and on and on and on about the hypocrisy from this government all day long but it's just. It's so stupid. I mean, the, and, the, and the, the excuse they use is that Canadians are having a hard time saving for retirement. Well, yeah, because you guys keep devaluing our dollar and making things more expensive. If it, if it, wasn't, if it wasn't so goddamn expensive in this country to live, we'd be able to save for our own retirement. And I guarantee you, if there was no CPP, People would be a lot more vigilant about saving for retirement. Yep. Oh, that's absolutely right. Because there's this misconception in the country that the amongst the regular folk, the regular working people, that CPP is enough to retire on. And it's not. It was never meant to be your sole source of income during retirement. It was never meant to be the main of income for retirement. It was meant to be a supplement to what you saved. It was just supposed to be a little top up. It was never meant to be the main source. It was never meant to be the only source. 
it, it was just supposed to be an additional bit of of uh of income yep oh exactly right and then um in the most well duh moment i've read in a long time the canadian federation for independent business spokesperson reacted by saying well now employers are going to have to make some difficult choices as to their hiring and their their pricing schemes because they can't just absorb these extra costs and i thought um yeah uh obviously <laughs> yeah uh, well i mean guess what's guess what's going to happen to my customers next year they're going to be paying a little extra well, exactly. And then, you know, maybe when you could maybe use one extra extra body, you won't hire that extra body because it's just going to cost you a minimum an extra five grand in the source deductions. Yeah, well, and, and I mean, let's let's talk about the fact that, you know, in BC, like I said, they're talking about expanding the paid sick days to 15 a year. I mean, why? I mean, who the hell gets sick that often? I mean, it's the only people who use, well, not the only people, but most of the people who use like 15 sick days a year are people who think they're entitled to them and call in sick. Right? Yeah. They're not actually sick. They just go, uh, I want a day off. And they call in sick. I mean, the overwhelming majority of people who use that many sick days that's what they're doing. I mean, I remember working in an office in Calgary where the company we worked for gave us one sick day a month. That's 12. And there was two guys in the office who made sure they used all 12 days every year. And the rest of us used maybe three or four for the whole year. And But these two guys, you knew, if they had not actually been sick that month, that come that final week of the month, they were calling in sick one day. And it happened every single month. And all that does is cost the employer money. And that employer passes those expenses on to the consumer. And, you know, we have, we have one of the highest cost of livings in the, in the world. And I mean, our housing is outrageous because we've got a million immigrants a year we've got you know our food is expensive because we have to import most of our food because we can't grow vegetables and fruits year-round in this country so you know for half the year our food is all imported from out of country um our you know our fuel because of taxes is so high our our alcohol taxes in this country we have 75% tax on alcohol we have you know it's just tax 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 and then we have a government that just spends without regard for the taxpayer or the money that we give the government or well, let me rephrase that or the money that they take from us and because of that our dollar keeps getting devalued every year and that's what inflation is is the devaluation of our dollar and and so the cost of living just keeps going up and up and up and i mean now we're we're looking at you know highest rates of personal and and small business bankruptcies in canadian history right now 
Um, we've got Canadians using food banks at record levels. I mean, in, we've never seen this much usage of food banks in the history of Canada. And it's just, it just isn't stopping. It's getting worse. Yep. And the and our and our current government does not care. In fact, they laugh about it. I mean, we've seen it in the House of Commons during question period, where you know they, the the uh, conservatives will bring up issues of of cost of living, and the government stands up and proclaims that they're that they are there for Canadians, and they always will be, and. All the other liberals just stand and give a standing ovation for the for like a, a statement that means nothing, and and knowing that they are costing Canadians so much money that 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 Canadians can't even afford to live anymore, and and yet they stand up and they give a standing ovation for it. Yep. And, um... Well, actually, that's a good way to switch into the next topic because they've given themselves yet another standing ovation for more they can take from Canadians. And that is Bill C-21 has finally now cleared the Senate with some amendments. But yep, the uh, handgun freeze and now the confiscation of 1,500 categories of rifles is, well, just one signature away from becoming law is cleared the senate and now mary simon just has to proclaim it into law and gun owners beware yeah i believe it's already received royal assent um i mean i could be wrong but i believe it already has been signed but but um so yeah now it's law and uh so now firearms owners who own handguns uh can no longer sell them can no longer buy them and can no longer transfer them in any way at all to a different owner so if if uh say tony if you owned a handgun and you die that handgun must be destroyed now it cannot be passed on to your son or your daughter it has to be destroyed um it, it this is for people who don't own guns, they don't understand. And the in uh, the simplest you know way I can put this into terms for them is let's let's talk about you know your car or your truck. And the government decides that trucks are too damaging to the environment, so they're just going to ban them. Um, or let's just say they arbitrarily have decided that trucks are just too dangerous period. They don't get, they don't tell you why they don't have any data to back it up. In fact, all the data uh, shows the opposite, that they're actually safer for the people in the vehicle. Uh, you know, all these things like they, they, they try and, and tell you that, that trucks are, are, are too dangerous for the regular Canadian to own one. And all because someone, you know, because there's car accidents every year where people die and there's too many car accidents where people die. So trucks, trucks are, you are, are involved in, in these uh, car accidents. So that we're just going to ban them. Um, and you don't have a choice. You know, you, you use that, you use that truck 
to, you know, f for work or you used it for uh, to haul your uh, your RV or your boat. And now you're not going to be allowed to. Um, you're not going to have the choice because the government says you're not that, that nobody should have the right to own one. And they just take it away. Or they tell you you can't buy one or sell one or whatever. And you're just out of luck. And um, or if it breaks down, you're not allowed to get it fixed. Um, that's that's what this is, because it's it's like saying that those trucks, pe you know, people who have who have, uh, you know, robbed banks used used a truck for a getaway car. So, you know, you can't can't use it anymore. Um, it's it's just. It's all about control. It's all about it's all about dearming the population, so that the government. I mean, it, it's like what what what's what can a government do after they take away your guns? Well, they can do anything they want, right? Because now there's 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 nobody with guns, so they can do whatever they want, and that's why the U.S. has the Second Amendment. They have the Second Amendment to prevent tyrannical governments from from uh, from getting out of control, and that's because the the population is armed, right? Now, this isn't strictly for those reasons. I mean, we also hunt, and we also just enjoy shooting. I mean, I know you don't hunt, but you like to shoot, right, Tony? Right. Um, I like to do both. I like to hunt and I like to, to shoot. I mean, I, I go to the range and I, and I like to shoot and it's, it's just fun to do. And, and I also like to hunt and, uh, and, and it's just, this is, this is just, this is an issue of just being, you know, you should be, if you want to own a gun and you don't commit any crimes with it, you should be allowed to own one. Period. I mean, we should have the right to self-defense and we should have the right to go hunting if we want to go hunting or to go to the range and go shooting. I mean, these are just things that we should be allowed to, to do. And, and people in Canada who own firearms legally are such a small percentage of uh of of you know are responsible for such a small percentage of the crimes in the country that it's almost not even worth counting and uh because it's it's something like 93 percent of all crimes involving a gun in canada are committed by guns or by by criminals who we're using guns that were illegally obtained and and most of those smuggled in from the US. Yep. So now so I mean, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm 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 okay. Go ahead. Okay. So uh, now we'll put a, a different spin on what you're saying, which and you're absolutely right. So now, yes, I do own a handgun and I can't sell it. I can't decide to give it to my son if he wanted it, for example. And so, when we, if we make that comparison to owning a truck, 
Now, if I decide that, you know what? Okay, you got me government. I want to comply. How about I sell my truck? No, you can't. Oh, I, so now I just leave it in my driveway? Yep. Oh, okay. But what if I, I just want to comply with the law and I don't want it anymore? Well, you can just give it to us for zero compensation. Oh, oh okay. So yes, I bought it and I've maintained it all this time, but I get nothing for it. No, that's right. And then uh, they've decided that, yes, they will continue with their quote unquote buyback program. So, um, okay. Yeah. I know you paid $60,000 for that truck just a couple of years ago, but we've decided it's worth 30,000 and that's what you get. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. That, that's a big one. And that's, and that's for the, <clears throat> and that's for the, uh, the 1500 different rifles that were banned in uh, 2020 because I don't believe the buyback applies to handguns with, 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 with handguns, you just have to turn them over if you don't want it anymore and you don't get anything for them. Um, with the rifles, they will give you probably about 50% at best of what they're actually worth. Yeah, that's right. And you either take it or you don't, I mean, that's, uh, yeah. take it or you just leave that, that rifle, sitting in your your house i guess probably not even on a display case as we found out in high river a few years ago so you can keep that rifle as a paperweight somewhere i guess and that's that's it yeah and but the thing is is that the buyback program isn't even in place yet like like the buyback program was announced in 2020 it has not even been implemented yet they've spent tens of millions of dollars on the buyback program and have not bought one single gun yet because there is no program in place and, and this is the waste of of money right i mean even if they were buying guns back it's still a waste of money because it's it's well first of all i hate the term buyback program because the government never owned the guns in the first place right um but the but the 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 thing is is that every time the deadline comes around for the buyback program, uh, they just extend it because there is no program in place. Like all those guns that were banned in May of 2020 were going to have to be turned in by uh, the end of October of 2023. So a month and a half ago, they were all those firearms were supposed to have been turned in. But there's no buyback program in place, so they ex extended it by two more years. So if it's really, if these firearms are really so dangerous, you know, they wouldn't be waiting this long to get a buyback program in place. They wouldn't be waiting this long to take the guns away. They would be like, nope, you got to bring them in today. Bring them to your RCMP station today. Yep. Well, that's absolutely right. And uh, so why don't we uh, wrap the show up, actually, just dovetailing out of that, because we talked about this last week, too, that the Liberal Party is now starting to cement the, the wedge issues that they're going to use in the next election, which we've already discussed is going to be in the spring. And I'm really convinced now that it that it is. You had uh, said a month or so ago that uh, you were convinced that a May election would be would be on the table. and I think now that's actually where I'm starting to uh, to fall in as well, because I see that now the 
I'm not sure if Pierre Poiliev has peaked, but it seems like his support is sort of, you know, it it's not growing at least as quickly as it was. And the Liberals seem to be regaining a little bit of ground. So I'm wondering if now they've found the wedge issues that they're going to use for that May election. And they I mean, they're going to say, yep, we are going to take guns off the streets to make Canadians safer. And I mean, we beat that argument to death and, uh, you know, yeah. as in dispelling it before. But yep, they've got that. And they've got, of course, it's going to be health care, which is absolutely in shambles. But they and only they are the party to fix it. And I'm a... Uh, I'm now wondering if they're going to add a third wedge in there, and that is do a Doug Ford. Say, here's a nice big spending budget, and oh, yep, here, we're going to run on that as an election platform. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, yes, I agree. I mean, when we talked about this a little over a month ago, we said, you know, that May looked like it was probably going to be uh, when the election would would be held. One of the reasons we thought that was because uh, we have been hearing from uh, Elections Canada workers who've been told that they need to be ready for a May election. So we were like, okay, sounds like May is going to be it. Um, And then last week, you and I were both convinced that it was going to happen even sooner. Um, But in this past week, I've really been looking at things and I and I and I agree with you. I think it's still going to be May. And I think it's because they're going to um they're going to do exactly what you said, and that is cement these wedge issues. So they need time to cement these wedge issues, and they also are going to present a budget in the spring and then call an election immediately and to have so and then they would run on that election or on that budget sorry they would run on that budget and i mean you're seeing right now the reason i believe that is because of of all the announcements we've been seeing lately uh on housing projects and that's going to be one of those issues that they're going to try and claim is that they're is that they're fixing the housing problem in canada and that Poliev won't be able to use that issue in the election campaign. And they, they just announced, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars for uh, an agreement in Vancouver. And they're talking about it being enough to build 40,000 houses. Well, I was on Twitter yesterday and, you know, Brett Wilson uh one of the, the former dragons from dragon's den um he's a calgary businessman um he put on x and he says or he makes an x post yesterday that says these people must not do math very well because forty thousand houses uh with this amount of money i can't remember the amount of money it was now but it was like uh, maybe 120 million or something, 120 million dollars. Works out to three thousand dollars a house. <laughs> and so, I mean, like, it's really not. It's not going to do forty thousand houses for sure. 
I mean, three thousand dollars a house. That's not. That's nothing to make things affordable, right? Um, I mean, that doesn't even cover GST. So these programs that they're announcing, these housing development agreements with different cities that they're announcing, these are all going to be part of the campaign. Now, the problem is, is that it is going to be a big spending budget when they announce this budget in the spring. Now, that could work into Polyev's favor because these big spending budgets is what's making it so goddamn expensive to live in Canada right now. But people are, are, are swayed by dollar signs. Um, whatever they can get for free usually is why they vote for certain people, right? So it, I mean, the polls, I, I'm, I, I'm interested in seeing what the polls show next week because this seems to be like a, a blip, right? These, these latest poll results that show that the liberals are up 5%. Um, because it just doesn't feel right because I, I don't feel any, like there's no feeling in the air that people are actually, um, okay with the liberals again. Um, I just, does it just doesn't feel right that these numbers are starting to reverse. So I think that it's probably just a blip or it's, um, or the NDP are the ones that are going to be losing, not not the conservatives. Like the liberals are taking their support from the NDP, not from the conservatives. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just something about the polling results from this past week don't feel right. It almost feels like they're manufactured, you know, like the that the the polling companies are like, oh no no no, we can't let we can't. You know, we can't let uh, Polyev win, you know, so they've got to start, you know, showing Canadians that, oh, no, the liberals aren't so bad. People like them. That's how it feels. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying that's what they're doing. It's just that's how it feels. Well, and that there could be something to that. I know that with the uh, the big dental care announcement that. Of course, they're trouting out as saying, oh, it's going to, you know, help so many Canadians. But we drilled down on it and it's, it's this exact same announcement that, you know, families with a, a household income of under 90,000, children under 12. And that all they've said is now we'll, we'll add seniors in and you're going to love this, Canada. Any senior 87 years old and older can now apply to get dentures under the government plan, but they won't start processing those claims until May. Well, what does that tell you? After an election. After an um, election. Yeah. Now, and, the, and, 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 we've, and, we've, and we've talked about this before, about these programs, right? Like they're, they're a whole lot of nothing. Exactly. Because, because the, the, uh, the people who use these programs have to, fork out the money beforehand and then apply for the re for for to re, be reimbursed so they might even get turned down so they've it's got to be they uh it's got to be money that 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 they can afford to 
And how many families can afford to put out that money? I mean, even they're making at ninety thousand dollars can't have a hard time putting out that kind of money right now. So, like people who fall under the threshold, how are they going to actually afford to put out that money for the dental work, and then wait for a refund from the government? Because you know it takes time getting a refund from the government. It doesn't. It doesn't happen instantaneously like it does with an insurance company. Yep, that's actually. Like, so this is this is these are programs that the government. Um, and we've said this before on the show, but these are programs that the government can say, see, we put in dental care. See, we put in, you know, drug, a drug plan and all this. But they're programs that are going to be hardly used by anyone. Yeah. No, that's a good point. And uh, maybe we'll wrap the show up right on that one. That the, uh, yeah, they are actually not here for you, Canada. Don't ever forget that. No, they're not. Absolutely not. So, so uh, coming up um, next week, we will still have a show for you. I know it'll be Christmas Eve. And then after that, uh, watch out for our year in review show where we uh, always go back through some of the year's biggest stories to talk about. But uh, until next week, uh, thank you for joining us. And we'll talk to you next week. It's Tony in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Good night. Good night, Canada.